Welcome to My COVID Diary. My name is Andrea Hardiker and this is My COVID Diary. Like everybody else worldwide, I'm trying to get to grips with a whole new lifestyle during the corona pandemic. I decided to chart my journey here. March 29th, 2020. I work all day and get half drunk at night. Waking at four to soundless dark I stare. In time, the curtain edges will grow light. This is from Obeyed by Philip Larkin. I know I won't be the only one who is waking at 4am and finding it difficult to get back to sleep. Last night was no exception. I don't know what woke me, but my mind started racing with questions. The biggest one again being this. What will society look like once this is all over? I'll get on to that in a second. But first of all, as I lay there, staring at the ceiling, I found myself in the usual quandary I encounter during nights of insomnia. Should I get up and do something, like my body is telling me to? Or just wait it out? Up until now, I treated insomnia as a gift. Instead of stressing about not sleeping, I've watched Netflix or read something on my Kindle. Now I can't concentrate on either of those things. Having googled the 4am wake up, I've found that it is in fact a thing. There's even a 4amproject.org which displays photos from around the world taken at this time by people struggling to sleep. Apparently, we are most probably in light sleep cycle at 4am, which means that the slightest noise, increase in temperature or finger of light poking in through the curtains can wake us, especially if we're tense. The National Sleep Foundation suggests getting up and doing something peaceful. Is writing peaceful? Maybe. I think that might be the way to go for me. Who cares if I'm tired in the morning? I've no kids to wake. No job to rush to. I can just go back to bed. The thing that stops me getting up and writing is the temperature. It's cosy in my bed and cold downstairs. As with everything else at this time, my mind searches for a solution. Maybe I should go to bed wrapped in a sleeping bag, then just slide downstairs, still wrapped in it at 4am. Could that work? So what was it that woke me? On reflection, I think it was a number of things. I'd seen a podcast on a local website about police patrolling the town looking for anyone who appeared to be breaking the laws of lockdown UK. Someone responded to that post. She told of how concerned she'd grown on a walk watching three teenagers chatting on a bench. She watched them for some time and realised they were friends rather than family. One of the teens was walking the same way as her, so she followed him and watched him go into his home. She then walked about for half an hour wrestling with her conscience before flagging down a police van and telling on him. This lady is scared, obviously. Understandably and I don't want to criticise her too much. But there is that issue again. Fear. It makes us lash out at those who are not afraid. It divides us. It weakens us. Consider this. 
Young people are together in groups every single day right now, working in supermarkets, stacking our shelves and serving us. Should we stop them? Should we condemn them? Many told this woman she'd acted responsibly. And perhaps she did. I don't know. Call me paranoid, but it worries me. It feels Stasi-like. Neighbours reporting on neighbours for the crime of what? Living? Remember that up until a week ago, this is precisely what we were advised to do so long as we acted responsibly. So long as these teens aren't visiting their elderly grandparents or the sick, are their actions really so bad? Why do we have to shut everything down? Why not just protect those who need it most? I've read that the police now have the powers to break up crowds for two years. Let's hope that we have nothing to protest about in the coming months. But there's a terrifying virus out there, you say, spreading from person to person, killing people. OK, I'm not disputing that, but my question is this. Is it any more scary than the terror that is spreading with it? Terror is a disease in itself. It eats at us. It weakens our system. It fractures and changes our thinking. We need all our strength right now. We need all of our wits about us. Because last night I found myself wondering if the economic meltdown we're about to enter isn't a lot more terrifying than COVID-19. Money being pumped into this crisis now surely leaves less money available for our future for our future NHS, for our future education. Without both of these things, we are weak. And the clock ticks on and on and on. I feel like a sitting duck. I got a text today from the local bookshop owner who I've been interviewing regarding which books to buy during lockdown. He told me he's been asked to cease posting out books to lockdown locals as they're considered non-essential items. It saddened me, and it made me think of something I read about a year or so back. Syria's Secret Library by Mike Thompson. The book is about the small suburb called Daria, which lies on the fringe of Damascus, just southwest of the Syrian capital. The area has long been besieged by Syrian government forces, with people being deprived of food and under fire from constant shelling, yet some were risking their lives to build a secret underground library. The library is huge and the story behind it is awe-inspiring. I'd urge you to read it. I think there might even be a documentary somewhere about it. Why would people do this? Books are important. They reflect issues in society. They inform us. They challenge us. Syrians under threat obviously consider them essential items. The bookshop manager and I decided to continue our recorded chats about books, despite the fact that he's no longer allowed to send them out. There are many out there, like me, who have books on their shelves that they've either started and not finished or maybe never got around to opening. I look forward to that interview. Chatting about books feels joyful. Last week we spoke about one of the most beautiful books I've seen for a long time. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse by Charlie Mackesy. 
I bought it for my dad for his birthday last October. I felt a bit stingy. Money was tight, as usual, and it seemed a small gift, but I forgot something important. Giving has nothing to do with the monetary value. He was genuinely delighted. When chatting to the bookshop manager, we agreed that it was almost as if the author of The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse saw this pandemic disaster coming. It's a beautiful book, handwritten, hand-drawn, and it's as much for an adult as for a child. It's full of hope. In the introduction, the author talks about the four friends and how they met. He says, the horse is the biggest thing they've ever encountered and also the gentlest. They are all different, like us, and each has their own weakness. I can see myself in all four of them. Perhaps you can, too. Their adventures happen in springtime, where one moment snow is falling and the sun shines the next, which is also a little bit like life. It can turn on a sixpence. I hope this book encourages you, perhaps to live courageously, with more kindness for yourself and others. Later in the book, the characters encounter a huge storm. The horse advises, When the big things feel out of control, focus on what you love, right under your nose. It's good advice. I found myself looking around my home last night in the wee small hours. It would be a shame to lose it, I thought, but there's so much here I don't actually need. I've often wondered how I'd cope if I lost my fiddle or any other instrument in the house, as they are the material things I suppose I cherish most along with books. But a good friend once told me about the time she left her violin on a train. I was panicked and distraught, she said, and then I realised, music is in me, it's not going anywhere. Thankfully, she got her violin back. She's the most wonderful player I've ever heard. My son is eager to find work in a supermarket, and now I am too. There is a slight niggle at the back of my mind. He might be exposed to Covid. I might be exposed. But sooner or later, if this lockdown continues, aren't we all going to reach a point where we have to make a decision about this virus? Go back to work as normal? Or die of starvation? I suppose the bigger question is this. Is it time to shift our fear from the virus to our economy? Is that irresponsible? Which is the bigger threat? I don't have the answer. Yesterday, a police officer patrolled our cul-de-sac on foot, which I thought was strange. I wondered if he was there to check on who was leaving the house and when. I found out he was there not to check on escapees, but to ticket pavement barkers. How strange, I thought, to come all this way. And then I remembered. No one's out on the road, speeding. Money is not being made. It has to come from somewhere. As I speak, the rules about what can and can't be said in society are changing. Tomorrow, they will no doubt shift again. Twitter is clamping down on posts it deems irresponsible. Fair enough, you say. Fake news is dangerous. But who gets to decide what is fake and what is real? There may be one day when this type of restriction affects what I voice on this podcast. But let's be clear. This podcast is a diary. It's not my job to tell you what to say or how to think. 
but hopefully I can encourage you to think. Thinking is still allowed, isn't it? <laughs>